Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session by TBA rabbinic intern Yael Aronoff. Some of you may already know this about me, um, but I like to start uh, anytime I'm learning together uh, with the bracha lasok b'divrei Torah for um, studying Torah. I think, you know, it's helpful even while we're amidst all of our tefillot that we just, um, as we're about to turn to our sources that we just ground ourselves, reminding ourselves why we do what we do when we gather together and learn Torah. I like to sing it. Um, so I'm going to start on 999s and feel free to join in whenever you're comfortable. jump into the sources, I got a question from Paula, and I was actually thinking of um, addressing this, just why uh, why these are the verses, why this is what I want to talk about today. So we're going to be looking at Parashat Kitisa, and then something happening similarly, but also differently, in Megillat Esther. Now, fun fact about Parashat Kitisa, um, while it was also, it was my uh, bat mitzvah, Parsha, and it was also Rabbi Rebecca Schatz bat mitzvah Parsha, and uh, it was when we when we had our bat mitzvahs, it was uh, Kitisa Para. Um, but there's just so much going on in Parshat Kitisa, just like there is so much going on in Megillat Esther, and I think there's some hard parts that happen in both of them that I think when I was growing up, uh, especially, kind of got glossed over, and. This week, this just really stuck out to me because we're reading Kitisa the same week that we are going to be celebrating Purim, which, as uh, we were just discussing, is already on Monday night and, and Monday night and Tuesday, which seems really quick that we arrived at Purim. Um, and there's there's a lot of difficult parts in Kitisa and Megillat Esther, and this one stuck out to me because it was in a moment of difficulty that two people, two of our ancestors were really looking for resiliency and fighting for the survival of our people. So I want to look at something that Moshe does and something that Esther does. Now, of course, they're in completely different contexts, 
um, Moshe is fighting for the survival of our people in conversation with God versus Esther, who's fighting for the survival of our people in conversation with Ahasuerosh, and Haman is also there too. Um, so it's definitely different um, kinds of conversations, but it's similar in that both Moshe and Esther are fighting for our people. So I first just want to frame what's happening in Kitisa when Moshe is um, pleading with God for our survival. So um, we're at the point in Kitisa where Moshe has been up on Mount Sinai, up on Har Sinai, getting the law from God. And as you may be familiar with, we, the people of Israel, are down below. Uh, we've asked Aharon, Aaron, to build us the golden calf. We are worshiping the golden calf. And God knows what's going on. Moshe doesn't exactly know what's going on, but Moshe knows that God is really angry with the people. And God says to Moshe, okay, your people, Moshe, have really crossed the line this time. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to destroy your people that you brought out of Egypt, and we're going to restart the people with you. I didn't add that on the sheet, but I think that's, you know, uh, really, uh, oh, and this is also where God gives us, this is a phrase God gives us that I sometimes like to maybe embrace a little too much, that we're stiff-necked people, because this is really in a moment of anger that God says this about the people of Israel. And so God says, okay, Moshe, I'm going to destroy them, and I'm going to make of you a great nation. And this is when Moshe comes in and says to God, hold on, let's talk about this for a second. So is someone willing to read the English of Exodus 32, 11 to 13? And oh, and again, as usual, if you're comfortable using the mic, use the mic. And we also understand if you're not and respect that. If you're comfortable, though, would you, can someone pass the mic down so we can hear Exodus 32, 11 to 13? But Moshe implored God, saying, Let not your anger, Hashem, blaze forth against your people, whom you delivered from the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Let not the Egyptians say it was with evil intent they delivered them, only to kill them off in the mountains and annihilate them from the face of the earth. Turn from your blazing anger and renounce the plan to punish your people. Remember that your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, how you swore to them by yourself and said to them, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your offspring this whole land of which I spoke to possess forever. Thank you. So we're going to um, hold that plea that Moshe makes to God as we turn the page. And let's just let's all stay on the same pages together, because um, when we turn to the commentary, they're going to start unpacking certain things. So let's just stay on the page with Esther and the picture of Moshe pleading with God um, <laughs> somewhere up there. Um, so now we enter into the Esther story, Esther 7, verses 3 to 4. And this is the feast where Esther is revealing to Ahasuerosh, first of all, that she's a Jew, and also that her people, as Ahasuerosh knows, her people, the, the Jewish people are, you know, there's a plan to destroy them. And she is pleading with Ahasuerosh to change that um, decree. Or at the very least, she's letting him know what Haman has planned to do is going to affect me and my people. Um, so can, is someone else willing to read in English uh, verses uh, Esther 7, verses 3 and 4? Uh, does, does anyone want to read those verses? Book of Esther, chapter 7, verses 3 to 4. Queen Esther replied, 
if your majesty will do me the favor, and if it pleases your majesty, let my life be granted me as my wish, and my people as my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, massacred, and exterminated. Had we only been sold as bondmen and bondwomen, I would have kept silent, for the adversary is not worthy of the king's trouble. Thank you. So, of course, as as I've noted, the context of these pleas for our people are very different. But I'm curious if you see in the tactics that Moshe uses and that Esther uses to fight for the survival of the people, um, what tactics are they using? Do you see similarities? Do you see differences? What are your reactions? And um, again, just to address Paula's question about why why was I drawn to this? I th I think the big one of the things I was wondering is why. You know, what is there a deeper meaning we can get from Kitisa being the week of Purim and what's going on with Moshe and Esther in these moments? So are there any thoughts or if you want to take a, a little moment or two to think about uh, how we can compare these two pleas for the people of Israel or the Jewish people? Oh, yeah. You want to? Are you comfortable <laughs> taking the mic? Tactic. Are you comfortable taking the mic? Esther's a smart negotiator. She's saying, well, uh, don't kill us. Just let us live, you mm. know. Uh, Moses is basically saying, hey, you're going to be uh, looked at bad, bad for uh, doing this because you just took us out of Egypt. So the two different, very nice negotiating tactics uh, right. used. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think it's always, well, if you have the power to uh, do it, go for the, big, the whole enchilada. But if you know it, you better settle for something. <laughs> that's great. Esther, Esther didn't have a whole lot of power. Right. Thank you. Oh, so that's an interesting point. So, so of course, so we have a similarity, and they're using slightly different, but they're both using negotiating uh, tactics, techniques, and uh, and that. But the, there's also a question of power. What power does Moshe have in the relationship with God? What power does Esther have in the relationship with Achashver? So that's interesting uh, dynamic that we have to look at when when we're pleading for survival. Well, it seems like um, Moshe is acting as a consultant. Mm. He's saying, you know, this is how they're going to look at you. He, he doesn't have a really doesn't act like he has a, a, a horse in the race. Yeah. Know? Whereas Esther, there's a real subtext there. You yeah. know, you know, it's not just uh, them. It's me, too. Mm. You know, and I think that's probably a much I mean, a very powerful argument. I yeah. Mean, so. They're very different. Yeah, they are. And I we're gonna we're gonna come back to this uh, when we look at the commentary because there's certain language reasons why that there I those differences why Esther seems like hers is a higher stakes thing and she has more skin in the game. We'll come back to that. That's an interesting point. Thank you. Yeah. I think that's really important when we're comparing Moshe and Esther to remember the gender roles that are played and how they can speak and and well, and right, exactly. Yeah, really cool. Lie. Mm, yeah. Right. It's not right. Mm -hmm. Moses, it's God's penance. Yeah. If we're being punished, that's sky, true. That's a pro statement. Mm. We represent right. percentage of the last. Right. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, I'm taking that in. That's a really powerful take to this. Yeah. Thank you. That, that we, yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit with that. I've never seen Right. Yeah. Thank you. We did. We did. I'm gonna I'm gonna sit with that. I think that's that's a 
interesting theological question of uh, we talk about retribution theology so is that are we have we been is this a continuation of a punishment god's time, mm, god's time. okay get it but right. we are the same as they do mm. like the sands mm -hmm. of the sky prophetic at best mm. it is an argument you're I'm I'm gonna sit with this for a while because I think both I, I mean I'm gonna sit with it but my initial response is that both can be true that um, we are a very small population in the United States and globally and a question of you know where does that come from theologically and and about the prophecies we got in the Tanakh about about how numerous we would be and also that we're still here and what does that mean that we're still here against all odds and with all of the people all of our ancestors constantly fighting for our survival and I'm going to sit with it. It's an interesting uh, debate. Yeah. That's a really good question. How does Moshe or, know? When? <laughs> when? We, we what, what did you say? Oh, oh, he was, yeah, he'd been standing at Sinai. He knew from Sinai. That's a good question. I'm curious what commentators think. I, I, I think, I mean, I think just in general, not Right. I mean, yeah. well, it's right. that like, like Moses. I mean, yeah, like that. Like, oh, I'd prefer not to. Speak to anyway. Um, um, uh, um. No, I mean, it, it, it said that like most, um, like most people the face of God. If they see the face of God, then they die. Right. right. Like Moses was like the one who like that didn't happen to. So like, I mean, there's something. I'm just saying, there's something. Yeah, you know, maybe there's something, yeah, different yeah. about Moshe. He has this like innate divinity, this innate, you know, kind of mm. non-humanliness. -hum mm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and that, so we're, yeah, so we're talking you know, about that he just had this wisdom. Yeah, Moshe's know. wisdom and prophetic ability. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, um, Joey. You had something too. No, 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 you're fine. Do, no, no, no. do you want the mic? And this will be our last comment in the room, and then if anyone on Zoom has a comment, we'll take that, and then we'll move on to the commentary. It's not so much about the tactics, it's about what, yeah. what prompted them. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think the, the golden calf was a worse thing because it was trying to, it's like the Jews were, just wanted something visible to them that they wanted to worship, and that's, that's blasphemy. Whereas in the story of Esther, we were, we were being, we were under threat of being wiped out by Haman. So that's why I think those are different in that way too, not just the tactics. Right. But yeah, the circumstances are really important in right. looking at both both of our ancestors fight for our survival that the Haman thing came externally and there there was to our mind like we would say, potentially we would say there's no good reason. The reason Haman gave was that Mordecai wouldn't bow to him. And so if Mordecai is bad, all Jew like bad to Haman's understanding, then all Jews must be so it's a totally different thing than do we have any accountability in the Kitisa situation. So yeah, I think that's a important thing to consider. Um, does anyone on Zoom want to share anything at this point in terms of uh, looking at what Moshe and Esther did in pleading for our survival? Okay, so we're going to turn the page over to two commentaries that I've put in conversation with each other, even if they weren't actually, of course, uh, Rashi coming before Malbim wouldn't know what Malbim would say, but Malbim probably most probably knew what Rashi said, but they're in different um, addressing, again, Parshat Kitisa and Megillat Esther. So would somebody like to read what Malbim said? We are, um, I think it was actually brought up in our discussion about how Moshe is referring to 
the people of Israel as your people to God, whereas Esther is referring to the Jewish people as my people. By the way, did I, I don't know if, I don't think I mentioned this yet about when I talk about, you may be familiar with this, when I talk about the context of Kitisa, I talk about the people of Israel, B'nai Israel, because that was how we were called in the Tanakh and that, or in the Torah. And then um, when we get to Megillat Esther, we shift a little bit in the language because this is like a fun fact that might, you know, you might get at some Jewish trivia game sometime if you play Jewish trivia, that Mordechai is the first person to be called the Jew. Uh, so so when we get to Megillat Esther, we talk about the Jewish people. So um, does someone want to read what Malbim has to say about uh, Moshe calling the people of Israel your people to God? Thank you. Against your people, God had said your people have become corrupt, referring to the mixed multitude who Moshe took out of Egypt on his own authority. Moshe replied, if only my people have sinned, why are you angry at your people? Thank you. Yeah. So Malbim is pointing out how Moshe is trying to turn it. I sometimes think of this when I when I um, look at these verses where God says to Moshe, um, hurry down for your, so this is God speaking to Moshe, uh, Exodus 32, 7, um, hurry down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted basely. And then Moshe turns it around and says, let not your anger out and I blaze forth against your people whom you delivered from the land of Egypt. When I look at that back and forth between God and Moshe, I sometimes think of I'm not a parent myself, but when parents have a child that's misbehaving and one parent will say to the other, well, do you know what your son did? And then the other one says, no, your son. So that's what it makes me think of a little. Um, but uh, OK, so that's Malbim's explanation. And before we discuss a little bit, I want us to look at Rashi's explanation for Esther saying my people. So does someone else want to read Rashi's explanation? Oh, you want me to do it? <laughs> OK, thank you. OK, and my people shall be given me in my request that they should not be slain. Now, if you ask, what does it concern you? My answer is, for how can I bear to see the disaster which will befall my people? And how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Thank you. So the thing I just wanna say also about Rashi's commentary here is that he's bringing in um, what Esther says in the next chapter, in chapter eight, because as we know, just because Haman gets executed doesn't mean that the decree to the plot to kill the Jews goes away. And that brings us to the very bloody end of the Megillah and the big war where the Jews are given permission to defend themselves, but the decree is not able to be overturned. Um, and so I think Rashi bringing in that verse, it's bringing in an extra, like, you know, Moshe is going back and forth with God in this moment, but Esther has to do an extra uh, it's it's not this is again where it matters who who they're both talking to Moshe's talking to God and God gets to have the final say in what happens to the people but Ahasuerus as only a human king uh, does not actually have full control of the situation um, so what I wanted to discuss with these commentaries is I'm curious if you agree with the commentators understandings of why Moshe would refer to the people of Israel as your people and Esther would refer to the Jewish people as my people there are obviously the obvious contextual reasons that that we we discussed earlier uh not maybe not so obvious but that we discussed earlier and uh so but in terms of the layer that malbim and rashi bring to it or would you add or change anything to their explanations and you can take a moment hmm. mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah. He has a relationship with the king. Mm -hmm. You see, so if you don't want me to be upset, and if you don't want me to be mourning, yes, <laughs> you better do something for my people. Right. I mean, that's really what's going on. So. Yeah, right. Um, are there any other thoughts on how the commentators take it, whether they extra complicated or whether they made you have another thought as to the, the thing I'll just share that I was thinking about was I, I, I think Esther can't really say to Ahasuerus, your people, that wouldn't make sense. But is there like, you know, I brought up the parent analogy, but are there other reasons why Moshe might be reminding God, these are your people in terms of the negotiation strategy or um, power dynamics, any of those things we were talking about earlier? Uh, yeah. Here we talk about an agent. Yeah. And they felt the gold and, and you know, forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the bigger picture. Yeah, thank you. So we're we're having Moshe remind God of the bigger picture. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, okay. We'll take we'll take three more comments and then we're gonna uh, do a little. I'll send you home with some reflection questions. Um, do we do we want to pass? I, I, okay, you I take the mic and then, yeah. yes, yes. Lepson and just yeah. said, it is, it is the, it is the, the province of relationships between God and his children, between parent and children as the only unconditional relationship. Mm -hmm. It is why parents visit their children in prison, mm. despite overwhelming sins. Mm. I mean, they still have parents and yeah. parents do this regularly. And I'm saying is, but the, but the husband and wife relationship is always conditional. Mm. It always is conditional. Mm. And what she's presenting to him is a condition. Yeah. My love is conditional. Yeah. I need my people. That's a, that's the difference. Yeah. Because the parent love is unconditional. That's what Sandra's painting. Thank you. Out. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful uh, lens to view this through is the parent relationship and the marriage marital relationship. And the merit of mm. your ancestors. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So remember your ancestors. Yeah, that's by the merit of by the merit by the merit of the ancestors. Right. Right. But I think that that's a good. Right. But I think that's a good thing to sit with. That I another thing I'll go home and, and think about is what does it mean that we're constantly calling upon the merit of our ancestors? I think that's a really important point. Thank you. And uh, Joey. Yeah, that verse in this morning's Torah where, where it said God's not one to change minds. Yeah. Can you say that again? Wait, uh, can we pass the mic? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, and the, you know, the story of Saul and Samuel. Yeah. It says, there's this verse that says that God doesn't change God's mind. Mm. But this kind of, a, yeah. kind of flies in the face to that. Yeah, it's actually really great for us that God did change, that Moshe changed God's mind on yeah. us, right? Thank you, that's that's a good reminder. Um, does anyone wanna say anything from the Zoom room? Oh wait, if Gary, if you're talking, you're muted. Okay, okay, well, we can talk another time about it. Um, but so I wanna just send, send us off into the week with the reflection questions at the bottom that I'll just uh, read to us and it's, just more, we, I feel like there's a lot I've gotten out of the discussion that I'll be going home with. So just a few things 
that you might want to go home with for, and you know, think about during the week as we're reading Prashat Kitisa, as we're reading the Megillah, Monday and Tuesday. So one of the questions I've been sitting with is, are we fighting for the survival of our people or God's people still today? And if so, in what ways? Is it similar to how Moshe and Esther were in the physical survival, or is it maybe more metaphorical? Um, or you might think we're not fighting for our survival anymore, and if we're not, then what, I'm curious when you might think that stopped. Um, <laughs> maybe never. Um, something to think about. Another, another question I would, I'm going to be reflecting on is whether you might use Moshe's tactics, Esther's tactics, a combination or neither in fighting for survival, for the survival of our people, whether it would depend on external circumstances, like we were talking about the context of both of their fights for survival, would it depend on your internal relationship with Judaism, with God, maybe it would depend on something else. And within the context of fighting for survival, would you claim the Jewish people as my people? If only sometimes you would make this claim, when would you claim our people as my people and when would you not? Would there be strategic reasons not to? And what about outside of the context of fighting for survival, just you know, the, the claiming of the people as my people or God's people or Amkshe Oref, anyway. Um, so I hope that uh, we have gained some uh, little bit of courage or resilience from the examples of Moshe and Esther. I appreciate it as always learning with uh, this group. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tba.org.